I'm your host, Kinsey Huseman, and I'm here with my two best friends. What's up, y'all? It's A-Rod. And Malik. How's it going, guys? I finally get to relax now. Sports camp's officially in the books. Now I can relax until the school year starts. Mm-hmm. Couldn't complain if I wanted to, but when August rolls around, it's going to be a bitch. All the new, the welcome week stuff is annoying. I'm so glad I don't have to do that. <laughs> I'm glad I don't have to do that either. And that's the bitch. It's a lot of free <laughs> food, though. That's nice, but. Um, it's nice. There's there's some perks to being in the bottom of the totem pole at work. <laughs> yeah. All right, Malik. What is the question? All right. Y'all rank your top three movie series. Has to be a series of at least three movies. Ooh. Movie series. Uh, uh, yeah, you should have given me a heads up. Okay, I but didn't think like. It be that complicated. Number one it. off the bat. Okay, I don't have three, so I'm going to let you go, A Rod. But I know All my right. number. Number one. Um, obviously, it's Marvel, The Avengers. Okay. All right. Two, okay. Star Wars. Three is going to be the Expendable movies with with like Stallone, uh, Arnold, and all that. Those are my top three. Okay. You want like... me to go next, Kenzie, or are you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want you to go next. <laughs> all right. Number one for me is Star Wars 2. You can't beat it. I have it written down. Oh, number because two. you were able, able to prepare. Yeah. Man, man, y'all kick rocks. <laughs> Number two, okay, I like the X Men series. Oh, that's a good but one. But the the originals, not the the newer ones. I don't like those as much. I like Days of Future Past. That's probably my favorite one. And then, ooh, yeah, that one's cool. And then number three, I'm I'm really big into the Transformers, but that's because I think it's it was the first 3D movie I saw, and I like I only like the first three though. I stopped after the like, second one. You don't like Dark of the Moon? I like Dark of the Moon. But those okay. are my top three. Okay, I'm going to throw a curveball because I know this is, like, my absolute favorite. Um, the Dark Knight series. I think it's Ooh. the best. I think it's the best superhero movies. I mean, okay. all three of them. Okay. Okay, okay. I can't be mad about that. No, they're good. I, I think they're better than Marvel. It's up there. I really do think it's top five uh, best superhero movie of all time. It's the Dark The Dark Knight is like top, top three five. of my favorite movies yeah. ever. I could watch The Dark Knight all the time. Heath Ledger's Joker, just perfection. It's probably up there for me as well behind Endgame and Infinity Wars. It's up there. Yeah. Okay. I'm... I'm then going to go Harry Potter because, like, OG, I'm a nerd, I'm a fan. You've got to love Harry Potter. Harry Potter's up there for me. Harry, nah, you can't no, say that. No, Harry. no, 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 it, no. It's, it's pretty up there. I feel like there's another series that I really like and I can't think of it, which I guess means it's not my favorite, but I feel like if I remember it, it was my favorite. Um, But I, I, I think I'm going to have to go... It's tough because I do really like Marvel, but I've never I've never thought of it as a series like that. So I might have to go the Hunger Games. I mean, that's what I was gonna say. it's 
those are solid movies, although all I've, four of them, all the way I've through. Only, I've only seen two. Mm, I mean, see, I feel like with a lot of movies, like Divergent, maybe the worst series movie I ever seen. awful. I so didn't bad. even try to watch Horrible. It. And I was a lover of the book. Like, first two books, I was like, hey, these could be better than The Hunger Games. Like, I'm really teetering on that idea that these books are better. Third book came out, and I was so freaking disappointed. I've never been so disappointed mm-hmm. in, like, an author and a book series the way that I ended it. I hated it. And then the movies, and I was... I think what I really disliked about the movies is I stand by this. Shane Woodley is not an action actress. No one. She is not. Mm. She is not that person. She does great in the emotional, dramatic yeah. indie films. But she is not. I don't look at her. She doesn't. And she's not intimidating. She doesn't have that, mm-hmm. like, badassery thing you need to be a strong action female lead. I thought she was too weak, and I hated it, and I just thought the whole movie was bad. And then it just progressively got worse to the point that I'm not even... They split the last one into two parts, too, and I'm not even sure they released part two. They released one of them as a TV movie. That's how bad it got. One movie I wish they would have made was is Percy Jackson, part three. No, okay. I love the Percy Jackson series. The I, movies I think they're were good. awful. No, the movies were bad. If you read the books, the movies were bad. No, but I am really nah. excited because Disney Plus is doing the TV series. Have they been to work for like years though? No, maybe just one year. I mean, they're already filming. I mean, it takes a while. Mm. Got a cast. Rick, um, the author Rick Riordan is like heavily involved in it and the casting and all of that. So that's like really exciting. Like I think it might take a little bit longer because I think they're really trying to do it justice and make it really good. It's gonna be so good. I'm so excited. You know what was pretty good? Hmm. This latest episode of Law and Order. What a segue. We gotta get A Rod, this is like your role now is to segue yeah. us. Mm-hmm. All right, let's talk about this episode of Law and Order. It was pretty good. I'm not gonna lie. Yeah, it was pretty what? It was oh, pretty good. good. Yeah. I I thought you said something else. I was like, you can't say that. <laughs> but yeah, I thought it was like one of the the best, better episodes we've seen so far. Mhm. I've never seen the original. I liked it. Yeah, that was the first time. Yeah, we'll talk about it because I talk about it in my notes, but it's definitely like more trial, or at least that episode. Mm-hmm. There was like not a whole lot of police work that went into that. Yeah, I never really watched it because I felt like their intro was always boring, so it always made me turn it off. And I'll say I'll wait till SVU comes on and I'll turn. It's it back. literally the same intro as SVU. No, they uh, say more words. Before they say they more words, and they're just basic as hell. I don't like it. I mean, it's a basic police scene. It's not the special victims unit. It's just a bunch nah, of they don't, they don't, they don't hook the reader, man. All right. But it was pretty good. Okay, so. It starts with my first comment is, what do you think the kid lost? They're digging in that trash. And for a good while. They say his just, braces. Yeah, his braces. but and not for like the first five minutes. 
It took oh, him a while yeah. to be like, your dad's going to kill you. She just kept, your dad's going to kill you. We need to find these. Y'all to, I'm like, what is it? What are we looking for? Why didn't we say this in the first five words? I like your dad's going to kill you. There. And she, was yeah. just, she wasn't even helping. And she was just standing there watching him go through freaking 30 bags of trash. <laughs> she can't get her nails dirty. Yeah, she's like, your dad's going to kill she you. She had but gloves I'm on. A bag of trash. She had gloves on. And then my next comment was, Oh, his braces. But instead, he found a hand. I know he wasn't looking for that. <laughs> Another body pot part found in the trash, not too far away. A foot. A foot. Yeah. How how did she get all that from just body? Okay, so the medical, the Emmy was like. Okay, I say I say this next. Dang, dang, she's killing it. She put together the victim had arthritis from scars on his knees and calluses on his hands from his cane. She was like giving him all the details on this guy. Yeah. And I'm like, ma'am, wasn't this dismembered? How do you? I was like, oh yeah, she, she need a pay bump. Boy, she was trying to finish the episode in ten minutes. <laughs> I know. I was like, she pretty much solved the crime. Usually yeah. they're like, I don't know, I can't tell you much, or I need to do some more work. And that's just off like a hand and a foot. Yeah, I think she gave him like height, weight, everything yeah. they needed to know. She was like, yeah. I was just like, dang. Whose job is it to dig through the trash? Because <laughs> that sounds like a horrible, that's like the rookie cop thing they do. They're like, hey, you new in the job? You want to come like... Go ahead, grab trash. Yeah. <laughs> we don't know what we're looking for, but every piece of evidence is is important here. Especially New York trash. Yeah. Well, rat, uh, I saw that documentary where there's freaking rats on top of rats in their trash. Pissed me off. And she said they. Mm, I, I don't remember if it was the beginning or later in the episode where they said that the trash hadn't been picked up in a while. Yeah, it was supposed to be picked up, but it didn't. Mm-hmm. Well, good oh. thing it didn't. Um, and then I said, I don't know how I feel about the trash bag brand, Tough Boy. Tough Boy. <laughs> Let me go get my Tough Boys. Mm-hmm. Trash bag. <laughs> mm-hmm. There is no way the they tracked the victim's residence by a fruit stand. That was dumb. There's no way that you're like, huh. Where do you get your fruit? I get it at a fruit stand. And they're like, well, he has arthritis, so I bet he's not going far. You're telling me that you went to every freaking fruit stand in New York City? That's the part I didn't hate. I just hated how fast they found out where where he lived and all that. Mm. I I was not. I was like, no. I was like, they're putting together ends that don't they don't meet. Also, because they don't even like have ahead so they don't even know who they're looking for so what are you gonna do like you're gonna show up and be like hey do you have anyone that buys fruit from your stand that has arthritis do you know how many people that probably is i wouldn't even know if someone had arthritis like how do you just tell what do they say oh they had that magazine found in the uh in the right they found in the magazine in the trash right yeah and it had like one page teared out and they're yeah. like why do you think this page was tear tore out yeah it, it all it, it like, all mm-hmm. came together too like flawlessly for me mm-hmm. yeah but i guess they were trying to get to the trial part a little like snippety yeah and then i said of course they do 
What's a skin mag? They kept talking about, like, the girl behind the counter was like, yeah, it was weird that he bought that magazine because you usually buy skin mags. And I was like. I guess that's what they called, like, their their porn magazines. Or yeah. Yeah. Mag. Yeah, that's what that it's called. That was my next comment, comment was, you can just buy porn magazines at bodegas. The early 2000s was wild. Oh, well, yeah, yeah, I guess, a lot of freedom. Yeah, in the early 2000s, they called them skin mags, and you can just go to your local bodega and buy one. Mm-hmm. Imagine showing up to Walmart or, like, H-E-B. H-E-B used to sell, like, Maxim mm-hmm. like, magazines. Oh, really? I tried to finesse one one time. I tried to hide it in my uh, WWE magazine. Do I nah. want to know how old you were? <laughs> I was like 11, 12. Okay, this is acceptable. Yeah. I just imagine college A-Rod trying to. No, 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 no. It's like, hey, man, you can buy those. Just show your ID. It's not even that <laughs> So he bought the magazine because his estranged son was in it. Oh, and he used to be a boxer that was abusive to his wife. I love the landlord's accent. Also, there was blood found in Roger's tub. That landlord had the thickest, best New York accent I have ever heard. I loved it. Sounds like the victim was the cranky old man yelling at kids to get off his lawn. But apparently he has a deaf girlfriend that lives across the hall. Who just keeps their high school yearbook out? They were like, look, it's her high school yearbook. She's probably in this somewhere. And I'm like, well, first off, I don't even have my high school yearbooks. I'm pretty sure they're still at my parents' house. Yeah. It's just there for daily reading. <laughs> like, like the whole apartment was clean. But I just have a random 1979 yearbook on the counter. Is it decoration? Can you imagine decorating with your yearbook? Like, wow, that we know when they peaked. <laughs> Where are we? The victim is confirmed to be Roger Berry, and his blood was found in his drain and on a knife in his girlfriend's apartment. Let me tell you, having to refer to i I knew what this was about, where this was all headed, so it was so hard for me to write his mm-hmm. girlfriend and 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 play along of like knowing that what we know now. Anyways, we'll keep going. But yeah, I was like, I had to really try hard to be like, girlfriend. We we still know it's a girl. Okay, I'm pretty sure you're not supposed to talk about who's at N A and where it's at. That nice. guy's that guy's friend or whoever they were talking to, and he was like, yeah, my friend like sees her at N A all the time, and this is where they go and. Her name. I was like, well, I'm pretty sure you're not just supposed to be telling anyone that stuff. I'm pretty yeah. sure there's like, you don't you don't talk about it. <laughs> An anonymous. Why, yeah, yeah. Like, that's why it's called anonymous. <laughs> yeah. But not this guy. This guy's telling everyone who he sees there. Boy. See, that guy knows, and you can't arrest him for not talking when they show up. And he was like, it's anonymous for a reason. And yeah. then that, the cop threatened him. He's like, you want me to put some handcuffs on you? And I was like, you can't threat. This is literally a legal binding thing, I'm pretty sure, is that you don't <laughs> talk about it. Like, it, it is anonymous for a reason. Also, because they may not know. Like, th- they're not even supposed to say their name, like, their last names or whatever, right? Yeah. 
I think so. I did. I did I like see you first. He caved. Yeah. yeah, and then he's like, but she did hand out this flyer with her name and address and stuff to her. Mm-hmm. So the girlfriend is an artist with her own studio, and the girlfriend is also a man. So there it is. There's the, the bombshell. Yeah. Um. So that's what was hard for me, is the fact that I knew it was a man all along, because I knew how this story was going <laughs> to go. Oh, we're jumping straight to the trial. I'm not going to lie, because I was watching it on the legal website, and I was like, did I skip a part? Did it cut out something? Was there not, like, an interrogate? We just, we're just jumping straight here? Yeah, it started when, like, uh, what's his name? Barry brought all, like, his uh, counselors or whatever in. No, Barry's the victim. Or what's the guy's name? I don't even the know dude. if I wrote it down. The DA? No, no the the guy that the committed the crime. Yeah. Oh shoot, what's that? Ellis. Is yeah, Ellis? El- uh, Eli, Madison. Eli. Eli Madison. Eli. Eli. Oh, so close enough. It, close enough. Yeah, so it cuts from them to like arresting him, and then it goes to Eli with all his like his people and the judges' chambers, like just talking about oh this case should be like dismissed because of the media, this and that. Yeah. So I wrote, mm-hmm. we got absolutely no background information on this guy other than he's rich. Something happened to him years ago, and he's hiding from publicity. Yeah. That's a hard word for me to say. Oh, his wife went missing, and he claimed she ran away, but he was really suspicious. And when they started investigating him, he went on the run. Does that sound familiar to anyone? Mm-hmm. Sounds like Lauren or SVU. Wait, was that SVU watching? Yeah, was that SVU. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, does it relate to the guy we're going to be talking about? Yeah, I was really looking for the answer of Robert Durst that we talked about last week. Uh, I, I could not remember his name. I couldn't remember his name. Same thing, same thing. That was thing. the correct answer I was looking for. I had a, I get 50% I, right. I yeah, these I, you give us. I just, yeah, I was, I thought I threw you the punchline. Oh, that's what we talked about last week. I mean, we did. We talked a whole hour and a half about this guy. Well, I'm fucking stupid, okay? I'll just tell you. (laughs) A lot has happened this past weekend. Give us a break. Okay, okay. (laughs) Well, just, uh, like, that was a warm-up question, so. Well, that warm-up question was hard. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, of course the rich guy has an expensive lawyer. So many, many lawyers. He had, like, what, four or five? And one of the guy, one of the like prosecuting like DAs or assistant DAs, like seemed like I don't know, almost shocked that he got this lawyer. I was like, well, of course he's gonna spend the most money. Like he's rich. Mm-hmm. You know what's funny? He apparently is from this rich family, but his family never like shows up in the movie or not the movie, the show. You know well, I mean? we'll see that happen in real life too. Mm. It turns out that when you like suspicious your wife suspiciously goes missing and you're kind when, of like when you get uh accused of murder yeah you know, you, your family kind of just especially when they're like yeah. that that high well, they're like mm, maybe it's time we got yeah. dies with this guy well, i was wondering if it was like just trust fund money that he has because uh, yeah I think apparently he doesn't have like a real job he just paints and he's I think like, trust narcotics fund. anonymous it didn't even explain why he was going to Narcotics Anonymous, did it? That's another 
What, yeah, what, what's this dude's problem? I never mentioned a drug problem. Is that a part of his, like, cover-up? Is that Well, if I was the fence, I would maybe have brought that up. Like, he has an addiction problem, you know? Mm-hmm. But I guess it, I don't know. No, that was, that's probably, like, a plot hole. Okay, I said, uh, I feel like him ruling mention of the missing wife makes sense when they like argue that you can't they shouldn't be allowed to bring up his missing wife that kind of made sense to me because he wasn't ever convicted for it there's no evidence of it there's not really an investigation of it so really there's like you would be putting like almost false doubt in the jury's like it would what do they say it would skew the skew the jury's yeah, yeah, that's the word. Something like that. Something like that. Screw their perception of it, or we're not. We don't know the the right legal term. We're not legal people. Y'all know what we mean, listeners. Yeah. <laughs> and then they're talking about PCR with the DNA, and I wrote, I used PCR in college. I did a PCR test in college. I'm so cool. I knew what they were talking about. Well. We didn't, so go ahead and explain it for us. Is it something to do with DNA? Yeah, and I can't explain it. Um, <laughs> That's fine. We'll just know it's but DNA. But I did it. I remembered the term. Missing PTR. That, okay, it's something where, like, you put it in this gel, and, like, the different types of DNA will go farther down, or essentially you put in this gel and then you put it in solution and the solution depending on the type of dna will go farther down the gel or up so then you can tell what type of dna so if you're matching dna then it should be the same across the gel i i know that doesn't make sense but if anyone out there Uh, took i was wondering why i've heard pcr before but pc they use pcr for covid yeah, I mean, it's a very common test to, like, yeah. test things against each other, which is probably why I mm-hmm. learned it in college, because it's very common. So, in my mind, I can picture what I'm talking about, but my I cannot explain it very well. You know what we mean, listeners. They may not. That's the thing. <laughs> they got Google. They may not. Just know it has to do with DNA, man. It's how we test for DNA. It, yeah. Some shit like that. Where was I? Okay. That was a dumb defense. I should have probably wrote what the defense was. I don't know. But his defense, like his uh, lawyers and all that, they were knocking everything out of the park, man. I didn't think so. I thought it sounded horrible. Really? I I thought it sounded like unrealistic what they were saying. I think it was just that they had a nice, they, they had a quick rebuttal. They did have a quick rebuttal. They had an answer for all their everything they threw at him. Mm-hmm. Until he screws himself later. Was it wasn't his defense was that he found out oh that he they were watching the basketball game and he screamed in his like voice his man he voice found out, yeah he found yeah out and he man. found it yeah so he Barry he had, was getting upset Barry had a heart attack he yes was that was it Barry had a heart yeah. attack and I was like that's 
dumb. There is no way that that's what happened. He was scared to call the police, whatever, because they know he he knew what they were going to think of him. So he cut him up with some saw, but they never found the saw. No, it wasn't a saw. No, they, they did. They found the knife with the blood on it. But the defense is getting worse. Like, what point did you make by saying the murder weapon doesn't match the kitchen set? They had this whole thing where they're like, do you have some kitchen knives in your kitchen? And he's like, yes. And they're like, does it all match? And he's like, yes. And they're like, but this one doesn't match. And he's like, no. And then they walk away. If I was on the jury, I'd be like, well, I have plenty of knives that don't match my kitchen set. Well, none of my knives match. Yeah, so I was like, what point did you make? You can still own a knife that doesn't match. If you go back to the scene when they first found the knife, that knife is sticking out like a sore thumb in the bottom left corner. Like the big old handle is sticking out. That's because they had to wrap up the police investigation so fast so we could get to the trial portion of the show. But all I'm saying is that I felt like that point was dumb. Because I would be like, so what? It doesn't match. He could still own a different knife that doesn't match. It was in his apartment with blood on it. No. His blood on the knife is good evidence, question mark. See, I was very heated about this. Like, that was sarcastic. Like, is it not good enough that his blood was on the knife in that guy's apartment? And we're now debating whether or not this is his knife? I mean, who cares? It's in his apartment with blood. His knife, that guy's knife, anybody's knife, he still used it to kill him. Okay, let's keep going. He had a heart attack, and you cut him up. If he really did have a heart attack, why would they suspect you were a man and killed him? That part I didn't get either. He was like, they would suspect me. But you're in a disguise. Mm -hmm. So what, they're going to show up, and you're going to be like, this man had a heart attack. And they're going to be like, actually, you killed him. If it really then, was a heart attack and you're a man, like that's, you think, if he really had a heart attack, that's not what's going to happen. Yeah. And you probably think, wouldn't even be in an investigation. Go, go ahead, A-Rock. Go ahead. I was going to say, you, you would think they would ask him where he put the heart at because he cut up yes, all the pieces, but they never asked right. him where the heart that's, was at. That's, that's like gonna, the main piece of they, evidence. All they said, well, you said they had a heart attack, but we can't find it. And end of the discussion. But that could also be because he probably just threw it in the trash and now they just can't find the trash. You know, he but could just say like, that. You that would be fair, like, but at least like you would think they would at least ask. Well, you if think like if he main. actually had a heart attack, that would be your main source of like evidence, like to prove to them that he did have a heart attack. That's what I'm saying. Like, and, if that's what really happened, that. why would you get away? So now I would believe. Nope, he didn't have a heart attack because why would you get rid of the mm-hmm. only evidence that excluded you from the crime? Yeah. So it's dumb. I think his whole defense is dumb. Okay, let's keep going. They have such a weak case. They accuse the cops of planting evidence. Like mm-hmm. at the time they found the knife, they didn't even really know what who the real Jennifer Shelby was. How could they plant evidence for the person? Like, it's not like they because the whole defensive thing was like, y'all planted evidence because you really want to take him down because you still think he did his wife's murder. They didn't know who he was. But at that time, they found the knife. They didn't even know they were looking for Eli Madison. They thought they were looking for a mute deaf woman. Yeah. 
Let's see. I feel like there's an ego battle going on between McCoy and the defense lawyer. Every time one of them stands up, they look at the other one. Judge. Approach. Yeah. And then. Chambers. Yeah. You know, once they make an outburst on the stand, they're guilty. Oh, yeah. When he just starts, like, going off. I'm like, see, if I was on the jury, I'd be, like, guilty right there. Like, you don't just, like, go on this rampage. I'm surprised they didn't try to do, like, a psych eval for him. Especially with going to the narcotics. You could have, you know, played insanity or something. Mm -hmm. But they didn't even bring that up. Okay. Dang, Dang, that was a good quote. It said, they said, I think it was the woman DA or the assistant district attorney. That's a woman. Uh huh. She said, men like Eli Madison are entitled to as much justice as they can afford. And I was like, I mean, the truth in it is unreal. Yeah. Hey, they got married on my birthday. The first wife and him got married on December 5th. Or maybe the second one. We, I don't know. He got married to a wife on my birthday. And then I said, so not only did he have a first wife, but now I guarantee he killed his lover and pushed him off the cliff. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. As soon as she was like, yeah, he died suspiciously. I was like, so he pushed him off a cliff is what you're saying. Mm-hmm. And then they're working on such an old computer to put place him. On the flight, when they're looking up the flights and stuff. I swear she was typing more than she needed to. I don't know, but that was such an old computer. I think she was just pressing buttons. (laughs) Probably. They probably told the actress, um, just look like you're looking up flights. Because they never showed the screen. She's like, okay. I don't know how to do that because technology's new. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So you just type, right? Mm Mm-hmm. So their strategy now is to prove he killed Dwayne, who was his lover, because he was a witness, which proves a crime was committed regarding Carolyn's death. So basically saying, hey, we were going to charge him and Caroline's death. Dwayne, we're pretty sure, was going to tell us the truth. So he killed Dwayne, which thus proves who was going to be a witness, which does prove thus proves that there was a crime committed. Cause why else would you kill a witness if there was no crime? Yeah. Train of thought. You know, it's funny that like hotel clerk lady, I feel like she knew the truth the whole time. And she, I don't know if she's just dumb or what she waited, but she, she waited 10 years. Yeah. As soon as she said her part, like it was clear as day that he killed her. I think I get to that. I'm pretty sure in my head, I was like, there's no way this woman remembers all of this, but Maybe if something sticks out that much to you. Oh, McCoy shut down the DA lawyer this time. So McCoy learned from the first time. Oh, because he was a, by the way, to the listeners, because we do a good, bad job of explaining the episode. He was acquitted of Barry's death, found not guilty. So now they're like, we got to get him another way. So that's why they're going after Caroline's death and Dwayne. Yep. Um. So that's that's what we're talking about now. So this time, um, when they put the DNA lawyer up there, because the first time, um, Eli Madison had a specific lawyer for the DNA portion, and she kind of ripped the DNA expert up on the stand of like, why didn't you do this test and that test and this test? And he was like, yeah. because I did this test and it was like 
You matched. They matched. Yeah. So like, why would I keep going? Um, and the second time around, McCoy was like, what test did you do? And he's like, PCR. And he's like, why didn't you do any of the other ones? Huh? And that guy was like, because they're not as reliable. And McCoy was like, I'm not giving her a chance. And then looked at her. She looked so annoyed. <laughs> like, get it, McCoy. Um, did Dwayne have a heart attack, too? I was like, are you going to say that on the stand? Everyone just has a heart attack. I don't know what happens. I'm just there. And then I said, well, it wasn't a heart attack. That's what I have been saying. Oh, this is a whole new point. Okay, so it wasn't a heart attack. I don't know. I don't remember. What did he say that he got dehydrated? He was old? I don't remember. Or just I just, I just assumed he pushed him off the cliff. I mean, he pushed him off the cliff, but what was Eli Madison's defense? He didn't say I pushed him off. A, oh, that he accidentally. I don't know. Okay, that's what I have been saying all along. If it was an accident, why would the police blame him? Because McCoy started asking him that. He was like, if these are all accidents, if it's truly an accident, why would they ever look at it like it's a murder? Mm-hmm. Because you murdered him, and now you, you're being paranoid. There's no way this witness remembers all of this. Oh, about that hotel re- lady. I mean, like, like, if she remembered that all, you would really, she just has to be a dumbass. That's just all there is to it. You you saw him leave, or them leave, and he came back by himself and left by himself, and the guy never came back. And he left all of his stuff there. <laughs> yeah, and he left all of his stuff there. And she thought nothing of, nothing of that sounded suspicious but at all. But didn't she report it to the police? Mm-hmm. I guess she just left out the part about the woman that was with him. <laughs> I don't, yeah. I was like, I don't know. I just don't think that you would remember all that, but whatever. Whatever you need to get to close the case. I feel like they proved Dwayne's death more. Like, did they even bring up Carolyn? So I I was like, technically this trial is about Carolyn because they have to do Dwayne's trial in New Mexico because that's where the crime took place. But I just felt like we spent the whole time talking about Dwayne. Which I guess was like the point yeah. was to prove Dwayne's so that you could prove Carolyn's. But I was like, at some point, you think you would just say her name, like. Well, I think they couldn't prove Carolyn's because they didn't have the body. <clears throat> but yeah, but there's other. I mean, I don't know if at the but time. But you can prove it was easier to prove Dwayne's death because his whole like reasoning behind it and all that stuff. But you think you would also bring up like, hey, how was you and Carolyn's, um. Like your all's relationship, bring up some of Carolyn's friends. If it was, a, I don't, I just feel like you would have like done more into it. But I guess you know you only have an hour long in these episodes. <laughs> Alrighty, so that brings us to the conclusion of that Law and Order episode season. I don't think I said it at the top. We watched Law and Order season 14, episode 17, hands free. Sorry, guys. Oh, my goodness. And, and he was found guilty at the end. Oh, yeah, he yep. was found guilty. I should probably mention that, too. <laughs> he went to jail. Let's see if our friend Robert Durst is found guilty. So, are y'all ready? Yes. See. Previously on Crime on Prime Time.
Kenzo, that's probably yours. What do you ever done? Dang do it, it again. Do it again. I to do it with my chest. <laughs> yeah, but that wasn't good. I felt like I did it with my chest. You know what, Malik? Let's, let's hear you do it, big boy. <laughs> no, it's, it's okay. I don't want mm. to. Not after that. Yeah, that was, she big, sounded big, like big Santa big. Claus. She sounded like Santa Claus for a second. Okay, let me try again. Previously on Crime on Prime Time. Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah, we can rock with that. Yeah. Okay, so last week on Crime on Prime Time, we started our series, Robert Durst series. And in the first episode, we focused on the on Kathy McCormick's story. Um, she was Robert Durst. Now I feel like I'm going to get the TV episode and the actual story confused because they're so similar. It's ridiculous. Good thing you got notes. Good thing you got notes. I know. Okay, so Kathy and was Robert's first wife, and she had suspiciously disappeared um, after attending a friend's dinner party, and then Robert called her several times and demanded that she came home, and she was visibly shaken up. She told her friend before she left if anything happened to her, you know, look into Bobby, which is what she called Robert Durst. Um, there had been like history of abuse in the relationship. He was, he reported her missing five days after she was last seen because she was a medical student at a hospital. So he was like, this is normal because she could be in clinicals and we don't talk for a couple of days when that happens. Um, but now it's been a little bit longer and I'm starting to get concerned um, he was like, yeah, we got into an argument that night. I drove her to the train station. I called her from Manhattan or I called her from a payphone when she got back to the apartment in Manhattan. Um, we talked, a doorman saw her that all kind of like crumpled in a 1999 investigation that happened in 82 and a 99 investigation that all kind of crumpled. But they were like trying to create a new case. So they were going to go talk to Robert Durst's best friend who did like a publicity campaign for him during his first wife's disappearance. She's a, um, I don't want to say this wrong. Um, Susan Burmer and, um, they were going to talk to her about it, but right before they were going to talk to her, she was found dead and shot in the back of the head in her LA home. Um, and Robert Durst went into hiding as Dorothy Siner, kind of all at the same time. Um, oh, also Robert Durst is really rich. He's from a very wealthy, well-known family, kind of up there on the level with Trump, the Trumps, just a little more low-key, but yeah, they're very, very rich. So he is on the run now as Dorothy Steiner and living in Galveston, Texas. So kind of like a home state one for us. So did I cover everything? See. Um and if if listeners, if you're if you're still confused, I recommend go listening to part one where I go into way more detail about Kathy McCormick's story 
um, and her disappearance and the investigations that proceeded. So this is Robert Durst part two, Morris Black's Morris Black's story. It was late at night in Galveston, Texas, and on September 30th, 2001, when Detective Gary Jones received a call at home that sent him rushing to Galveston Bay. A child had been fishing with his family and found what appeared to be a torso. Jinx disclaimer. Okay, so also I talked about in the first one, Jinx the documentary is a six-part documentary series um, that's kind of telling Robert Durst's story from him. He's being interviewed in it as a free man. He's not convicted of anything, yada, yada, yada. So I will be... I basically took this whole episode, my my what was my main source, and it's essentially it's a retelling of a few of the Jinx episodes that went into Morris's Black story. So, a Jinx disclaimer: if you if you watch it, you will see crime scene photos, and it it made me cringe. Did not enjoy it. So if you don't enjoy that, just know that that's in there. At this discovery, the police thoroughly searched the area and found more trash bags, and without opening them, they could feel that in each trash bag was another body part. They were able to find all the body part all the body all the body parts except for the head. Also found in the trash bags was a piece of newspaper with the address of twenty twenty two or twenty twenty two thirteen Avenue K still intact. From what I can tell, this was more of a duplex situation. Um, And the landlord explained that apartment one was rented by an elderly man named Morris Black. And apartment two was rented by a mute woman named Dorothy Siner. From the fingerprints, the police were able to identify the victim as 71-year-old Morris Black. And immediately after investigating the apartment, they had what they thought could be the prime suspect. Dorothy Steiner. You see, when they investigated the apartment, they found traces of blood that led from the apartment um, to the outside gate, blood inside Morris's apartment that looked like someone had tried to clean it up, and a trail of blood leading from Morris's apartment to Dorothy's. In Dorothy's apartment, they found draw cloths um, laid out all over the kitchen floor. Otherwise, other than that, the like apartment was pretty clean. Under the drop cloths, there looked like little cut marks on the floor, like someone had cut through something on the floor and had hit. So like something was on the drop cloth, drop cloth, and they had like cut all the way through that it got a few cut marks on the floor. They pulled up the flooring and in that area, in that area and discovered blood underneath it. The landlord described Dorothy Siner as a good tenant who traveled a lot and sometimes had her brother-in-law over, though he never actually saw them together. The police's next big discovery came when they searched the trash outside 2213 Avenue K. In it, they found an eyeglass prescription for none other than Robert Durst. This kind of meant nothing to them in the beginning. When Detective Cody Cazales asked 
the store about the prescription. He did not expect to for it to lead for the lead to go far, but he was interested to learn the prescription had not been picked up yet. He left his pager number with a clerk thinking there was no way the glasses would be picked up. In the trash collected was also a receipt to a hardware store two blocks from the apartment complex. On the receipt was a four-inch paring knife, drop cloths, and a bow saw. The next thing Detective Cazales knew, his pager was going off with 911 from the eyeglass clinic. And just as he was pulling up to the clinic, Robert Durst was pulling out. Once they got him pulled over, they looked through the back windshield and saw a bow saw laying there. That was all they needed to arrest Robert Durst. But they had no idea exactly who they arrested. They had no idea who Robert Durst was. To them, this was just like some guy that was disguising himself, hiding from something as a woman. But like no clue like who they were dealing with or his past or his family. As Detective Cazales was booking Durst, he explained to him that he was being arrested for homicide and the bond was set at $250,000. And now I will reenact for you a scene. No. <laughs> oh, God. Durst, what should I do about it? Detective Cazales, I don't know. Do you have $250,000? Durst. Not on me. Scene. That was, that was it? Yeah. You're going to be a big star someday, Kins. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to the detectives, this really stood out to them because that's not really the answer you expect someone to say yeah. when you're like, hey, do you have $250,000? You don't really expect him to say, well, I don't have it on me. Mm-hmm. So then they were kind of like, who is this guy? Who are we dealing with? Yeah. This prompted Durst to call his wife, Deborah. Don't don't forget, he married this other Remarried. woman, yep. Deborah, in a very unhappy ceremony <laughs> as described by the rabbi. And what everyone believes is because um, he wanted spousal privilege um and if you listen to or if you watch the jinx there's some interviews by her and i'm pretty sure she did it because she knew she would get a lot of money Dang. um so there was something in it for both i don't it's a win-win situation yeah i i don't think when they got married she was ever under the impression that they were in love no yeah so I, it's not like she's like heartbroken like i thought he loved me i'm i'm pretty sure she like knew this was more of like a business arrangement type friendship things but that because he made her his power of attorney Mm -hmm. and i mean she was gonna get a lot of money out of this she was like renting some wills and and stuff so Mm -hmm. she seemed happy i mean she seemed fine yep okay but yeah so that's Deborah. So he called his wife Deborah back in New York to ask her to wire the 
$250,000. And because Robert Durst is rich, he bonded out of jail. And when you are rich, it means you have the means to flee if you want. And that is exactly what Robert Durst did. He failed to show up to his arraignment and went on the run. I was going to say, what did they think he was going to do? Yeah. I feel like this could go 50-50. I feel like if you're rich, you either go on the run and you do a really good freaking job because you can get out of the country really freaking fast. Or you just know that you can buy the best lawyers ever and you're just going to get out of it because you're rich and you know that the law doesn't touch rich people. But you think, like, the police officers would have looked into him more and probably seen, like, he was, like, getting looked at for a murder in New York. Yeah, that was what I was getting at. But maybe if the records got sealed. He is rich, so maybe but, they... But who knows, man? But there's maybe... no records to be sealed. I mean, what are they going to... What are they going to look into? There's not, like... A police report. They were just starting an investigation. Mm-hmm. Um, wrong asking around. But also, I'm surprised that they didn't have someone staking him out, eyes on him. Yeah, and also they arrested him, and I'm assuming they're expect they're assuming they're making him the prime suspect of the murder. Well, yeah, they arrested him for the murder. That unlikely yeah. makes you the prime suspect. Yeah, but you, you think maybe we shouldn't let this guy leave the state or whatever. Well, I don't think they let him. I think he did. <clears throat> I think. I, think I mean, he was probably be. told. I think every time you bond out, you're told that you have to show up for your arraignment or your yeah. bond will get revoked. He I don't just know. If, I don't know if they fought for uh, no bond. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Okay, so it gets wilder. Let's dig into it. Durst and his alias Dorothy Siner were both put... um, So Dorothy Siner is a woman he went to high school with. He stole her identity. Um, But both of these aliases were put on the FBI's 10 Most Wanted. Douglas Durst, Robert's younger brother, if y'all recall from the first part... Robert got passed up to lead the family company for Douglas was picked instead. Um, so he was, he was scared of what Robert may do next. So he got a bodyguard for his family at this time. Robert had set up a bank account using a, the false name, Emilio Vignoni. He rented a car in Mobile, Alabama, using Morris Black's name, and he had at least three more aliases he used for various things. Finally, Durst was spotted standing, looking out over a lake in deep thought outside a stone cottage in South Salem, New York. The same stone cottage that he had shared with Kathy when she went missing. When the neighbor... When the new owner spotted him, Robert left. But don't worry. On November 30th, 2001, Robert Durst was arrested in Hanover Township, Pennsylvania, 
trying to shoplift a sandwich from a grocery store. You know, I'm kind of surprised there this. Well, I guess the trial got a lot of media, but I'm surprised that the police and the FBI were on it this much during this time. Because it was September of 2001. Mm-hmm. So kind of like there's like statistics or whatever after out there that say like. No crimes were being solved in like. September of 2001. And a lot of crimes didn't get media like attention and stuff because of the 9-11 attacks. Yeah. People are running wild. Yeah. But I guess if you're famous like this, it makes more of a story. Um. Okay. So. On November 30th, 2001, Robert Durst was arrested in Hanover Township, Pennsylvania, trying to shoplift a sandwich from a grocery store. When the police searched his rental car, they found two guns, more Black's idea, ID, and $37,000 in cash. Then another $520 on him. But yes, you heard it right. He was trying to shoplift a sandwich. So stupid. Just, just out of everything... They get him stealing a sandwich. Going to get a hoagie, man. Stealing a hoagie. (laughs) There's like, I mean, the police theorize that, or a lot of people theorize that he just wanted to be caught at this point for whatever reason. He was probably done running. Because, like, why else? You have $500 in your pocket. There's another $37,000 in the car. And you steal a sandwich? You try to steal? So some people think he wanted to get caught. Some people speculate, well, at this point, he just thinks he can get away with anything. So he just, I mean, this was just him trying to see what all he could get away with. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I mean, what do y'all think? This is. I can see that side of that. He just got tired of running. But also. I feel like he could also just be a dummy and just just try to sell the hoagie. Yeah, I think he's starting to feel a little a little untouchable. Like he, like I can just steal it, and no one's gonna stop me. I've got away with murder already, or I, am getting away with murder. Yeah, I don't think he was just dumb because he did kind of get away with his wife's disappearance. I don't think he's dumb. I just. I I don't know if it's the untouchable thing. I don't know if you just want to get caught, but I don't think it was just like a mistake. He had shoved all of or shoved. He had shaved all of his hair off, including his eyebrows. That was his new disguise. After he was extradited back to Texas, the question of who would represent him came up between Deborah and Robert in phone calls. That were obviously recorded. At first, Michael Kennedy, the family attorney, was set to represent Robert, but Deborah was concerned that Kennedy's true interest would lie with Douglas, and he would argue that Robert wasn't. To me, this almost sounds like she's scared for herself, less for she wants to get Robert Ken- rid of Kennedy, not Robert Kennedy, but um, Michael Kennedy for herself, rather than like. Because she was scared that Kennedy was going to argue that Robert was insane. 
so that in the long run, Douglas could take over Robert's power of attorney by saying like, hey, he's insane. He was insane when they got married. So she can't this marriage shouldn't be like legal. And therefore, I'm his power of attorney and I get all of his money and I'm going to write Deborah. So it was kind of felt like self-serving. I mean, I I do agree. Like, I mean, Robert said, like, well, I was going to get rid of him anyways without her saying. But. To me, I was like, man, I get it. You're concerned for your money. And this is probably the right move. But this sounds so self-serving. He's going to say you're you're insane. That's why I think that, like, she she wasn't truly in love with him. She's all about the money. Hey, I get it, man. Not surprising. Deborah also argued that. He should have he should hire Mike Ramsey, but Robert wanted Dick DeGuerin, the best in Texas. Let me tell you, Dick DeGuerin is a Texas man all the way through. He has a heavy southern accent. He wears a cowboy hat to court. He has his belt buckle. He has his boots. He's a Texas lawyer. All right. But Robert was rich, so. They're about to represent him in the murder of Morris Black. They showed like this clip in the Jinx, and it was like going to be like 1.5 mil for it all. I mean, I know, but you're rich. It's kind of like that quote from the Law and Order. You can, what did it say? You're entitled to as much justice as you can buy. Mm-hmm. And let me tell you, he's entitled to 1.5 million of it, and we're about to see the extent of that 1.5 million. So the stage was set. Defense attorneys Dick DeGuerin and Mike Ramsey would be facing off against Assistant District Attorney Joel Bennett and District Attorney Kurt Sistrunk. Now, mm-hmm. I will give you the court's play-by-play. We have not really had one of these yet. Nope. Nope. And court stuff really interests me. I've come to learn. The prosecution opens by giving details about the dismembering that would make me cringe and then showing the jury pictures of Morris Black's dismembered parts. I did cringe when they were talking about it. And then that's what they were going for, right? They were trying to make the jury so uncomfortable so they saw just how heinous this act was. And essentially hate Robert Durst for doing that. They called the officers that were in charge of the search of the bay to recover Morris Black and where he was found. I'm sure they called more officers, examinators and experts, but the real interesting stuff came from the defense. Yeah, they didn't really say much about the prosecution's case. It's mostly like all about the defense's case, but I am sure they presented a more well-rounded case than the two officers that, or not the two, yeah, the two officers that testified about searching the, the bay. So Dick DeGuerin opened the defense's case by saying, Robert Durst has feelings. And showing pictures of Robert and Kathy and Robert and Kathy on their wedding day. And a picture from when he was a kid or a picture from when he was a kid that he carried around and was on him when he was arrested. 
And I kind of want to be like, okay, so what? You can have feelings. Yeah. Kill someone. <laughs> I was like, ooh, big, cool. So we all got feelings. I, I mean, know. You didn't, you didn't kill somebody. You can still have feelings and kill someone. Like, I was like, cool, you were sad when you killed them. How'd you feel about that? Like, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, it's kind of like, okay. It's, I don't know. Not starting off like you're paying for the big bucks. I feel like I could have came up that one myself. I was like, I paid 1.5 for some feelings? For feelings? <laughs> this is the best I could think of? Their first witness to the stand, you ask? Well, it's none other than Robert Durst himself. Very ballsy move. First, the defense had to explain why Bob was in hiding in the first place, which Bob on the stand explained that he had. He had. OK, so this is in his words. He had heard a news story about Kathy's disappearance was going to be printed in a tabloid. And he just didn't want to be Robert Durst anymore. The defense argued that D.A. Janine Pirro. Now, if you remember, D.A. Janine Pirro was the new D.A. back in New York who had decided to relook at this case and was like, you know what? I don't think Kathy ever made it to Manhattan. I think she disappeared at the South Salem home. Um, so she was kind of leading the way for the new investigation and maybe maybe closing in on some things. So the defense argued that D.A. Janine Pirro pushed the new story to further the investigation of Robert Durst, to which which would push her career forward. In conclusion, Janine Pirro ran Robert Durst out of New York is what they argued. And boy, did they keep going after her, trying to frame a new villain and take the focus off of what Robert did. So they're so describing why Robert was in hiding in the first place, because you essentially have to explain, like, well, why were you, you know, hiding as a woman? Did you do something bad? Like. And they were basically like vilifying. Isn't that the right term? Vilifying? Does that make so. making someone a villain? That's what I mean. D.A. Janine Pirro basically going like, she's so horrible, she ran this poor man out of New York because she was relentless, thinking that he made, you know, in the media, making him seem like such a bad guy. And the jinx, so they're interviewing Janine for in the jinx. So in it, she said, I've heard the devil made me do it. I've never heard the defense the DA made me do it, <laughs> which is essentially was what they were arguing. But the defense was working. The jury was starting to sympathize with the pressure Bob was under from Janine Pirro. Pirro, and they interviewed jurors in this documentary too. And the jurors, the one woman was basically like, "Yeah, that woman seemed horrible to do that to him." And I was like, "Okay, you're so allowed to do that." It still worked. <laughs> Interview the jurors. Yeah. I guess so. I was kind of surprised, too. I was like, yeah. what wouldn't be named I think, anonymous? I think, yeah, I think, so, like, I've seen, like, different documentaries that do it, but they don't name them or they don't show their faces. Well, okay, not this that documentary. Not this documentary. Oh. <laughs> oh. I was going to say, I've seen, like, that, A-Rob, where they, like, don't name them or anything, but not where, like, 
they say their names, show their faces and all that stuff. <laughs> I think it, I think after the trial, like, so during it, obviously you're, um, there's a word for it, not subpoenaed, but maybe it's subpoenaed, but essentially you have to stay in the hotel and you don't have like any sequestered. That's what it's called. You're sequestered. So you have to stay in like a hotel, you get no contact. They like monitor what you watch on the TV. So I think that's like why they can talk about it. It's because it's after the fact. So now if you wanted to, you could put your name and story out there. So, yeah, this whole like make Janine Pira the bad guy, not the guy that actually murdered someone was working. Mm-hmm. So Bob was explaining his disguise as a woman and buying a handbag in that moment. So he's so, you know, they're asking him, you know, why, why go as a woman? And he was basically like, well, I can't grow a beard and a mustache, at least not like the next day. I needed to disappear immediately. I thought about a wig and I was like, might as well be a woman. Um, He's like, so I went to the store and I picked out a white woman's blouse and I was shopping for a handbag and the jury laughed during this part of it. And prosecutors Bennett and Sistrunk looked at each other because they knew they were in trouble. The defense had successfully humanized Bob Durst. On the stand, Bob continued by describing his relationship with Morris Black. He described it as a somewhat friendship they would watch TV together and go get coffee together. And he wouldn't be wearing the disguise. He was going as himself. You see, the wolf took a huge turn on this. Mm-hmm. Now the defense was coming for Morris Black. They wanted to use the, quote, he had it coming defense. That's what they said in the documentary. And point, paint Morris Black as a bad and crazy guy. This is what happened on the night of September 17th in Robert's words. The two men were in Robert's apartment when Morris Black showed Robert an eviction notice and he was upset. Robert excused himself and went to the bathroom when he heard a gunshot. He came out and saw Morris Black standing with there with a gun and Robert started yelling at him to put the gun down. Moore said he had shot the eviction notice and Robert told him to get out and don't come back. So that wasn't the night he died, but that was just like leaning up to it. So yeah. they're trying to paint him as this. Like I said, Ramsey, one of the defensive attorneys, argued that to the jury that Ramsey argued to the jury. This showed that Morris Black was unpredictable in an angry way. And this was in Robert's words. So, you know. Take with it what you will. This is how Bob describes the night of September 28th, the night he killed Morris Black. Bob came home to find his TV on, and when he opened the door, he found an angry Morris Black inside. Morris was sitting in a swivel chair and kept turning towards Bob. As Bob said, where's the gun? Give me the gun. As Bob got up, Morris kept turning with the gun, pointed at Robert. The two men started fighting over the gun, and when they fell to the floor, the gun went off and Morris was dead. So what do you all think of these two instances in Robert Durst's words? 
he makes it he's hard to believe yeah but also i'm like because what they live in a duplex they called it a boarding house which i guess what it what i what it what it looked like to me was a duplex it looked like a house and was split into two and they seem to be the only two tenants Mm-hmm. So no neighbors around. I mean, they have neighbors because it's a house mm-hmm. with not like a huge yard. So you have like a house next to you, but there's not like others from what I understand living in the boarding house. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I was like, how does no one hear the gunshot? The first gunshot. That uh, Black did. Well, we'll get to that. And then I want to know if they, well, they probably didn't have time to investigate for um, the other neighbors to see how Black really was. I mean, he was described as a grumpy old man, but I don't think that makes you. Crazy. I mean, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can be a, a grumpy old man and. And be a font, you know? You just be sane. Yeah. Doesn't mean that you're gonna shoot your eviction notice. Also mm-hmm. definitely doesn't mean you deserve to get murdered. Yeah. Yep. That's my two cents. I I don't know. I think it kinda smells like crap. So we'll see. Looks like shit and smells like shit. Yeah, but I wasn't trying to cuss Malik. Oh, sorry. <laughs> so now the so now they threw self defense in. So now they were saying he did it out self defense. Morris Black was so unstable and unpredictable that Robert Durst thought his life was in danger, and he did what he had to do to get out of that situation, which resulted in Morris Black's death. But just like the episode of Law and Order. Why do you not just call the police if you obviously you are innocent? We'll get to that. You ready? In turn, the prosecution tried to catch Robert in his lies. First, they argued that they never found one person who said they saw Robert and Morris Black together. Mm -hmm. Which at first I was like, yeah, Carlson's kind of big. So like. But also, I don't know if Galveston was big at this time. It's 2001. Or I guess it's 2003 now when the trial is taking place. But I guess if they're going to the same coffee house, you probably recognize them. Mm-hmm. Um, then they argued the fight over the gun couldn't have gone like that. I didn't really understand what they were saying. I was kind of confused. But I think they were saying, like, well, if you were standing here and he was standing there, there's no way the gun could get this way or that way. Um, the prosecution's theory is that Robert, um, told Morris Black his real name, which Robert testified actually happened. He said that he told Morris Black he was Robert Durst. Um, and Morris Black frequented the library to use the computer often, so they speculate that he looked up, looked Robert up, and found out how much money he had, so he told Robert to help him out. Um, or he would tell New York he was in Galveston. So Robert killed him. 
is kind of like what the prosecution's theory is, what happened. The solid the, theory. I mean, yeah, them, that makes sense to me. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're looking at it through not hindsight, I could also see self-defense isn't the worst defense. Yeah. I mean, it's better than a freaking heart attack. Mm-hmm. The prosecution also pointed out the intense bruising found on Morris black shoulders. He had like bruises of almost like different colors. So it wasn't just like one hit. It was like multiple blows. And he had bruises on his back that appeared to be from, like I said, multiple b- blows. Robert testified he didn't know how Morris Black got the bruises, but he must have been when he, they fell. So what the prosecution was trying to say is, like, you, like, pushed him down and beat him down repeatedly before you shot him. Mm-hmm. A neighbor, A-Rod, a neighbor also testified she heard two shots, and there was... There was a hole in the kitchen. Mm-hmm. The prosecution showed the eviction notice without a bullet hole, which I think is the dumbest lie. Because if you're going to say he's so unsteady, he shot the eviction notice, wouldn't you, like, <laughs> double check to see if there's a bullet hole in the eviction notice? Yeah. Dumbass. I know. So, there, you know, there wasn't a bullet hole, but there, you know... What's one in the kitchen? Um, so they argued that Robert missed Morris Black the first time. And that's how the bullet hole got in the kitchen. So he missed him. And then beat him down and shot him. Then came time to talk about the dismemberment, A-Rod. As the mm. prosecution said... This is a quote from the prosecution during the trial. You don't cut somebody up, put them into bags, and drop them in the bay out of self-defense. Yeah, you don't. a very good quote. Like, I understand that you could say he was freaking out because people thought – people probably, like, he thought that people wouldn't believe him. But still, like, you're not going to take the time out to chop them all up and to do that. Um. Yeah, that's that's my opinion. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And the prosecution agrees. Mm-hmm. It was Thank their you. whole argument. It was their whole argument. Essentially, their whole case was this dismemberment proves that he was guilty of murdering, because why else would you dismember someone? It's essentially mm-hmm. the whole prosecution's case. Also, because they really had nothing to go on. I mean, they didn't have Morris Black's head, so they don't have the bullet wound, so they can't mm-hmm. tell. Was it the back of the head? Did he know if it was coming? Does it really look like a struggle? In, Morris, in Robert Durst's words, this was his thought process and actions after he killed Morris Black. He sat on his bed, put his head in his hands, and told himself he had to get up. And the defense attorney was like, so he said this on the stand, and the defense attorney was like, well, Mr. Durst, did you? Did you get your head up? And he said, yes, sir. And I was like, was that really necessary to ask him that question? Mm. Glad we took time out of the like, trial. Like, of course he's going to get up. He chopped off the body after. I know. Of course he like, got up. 
Um, he didn't call the police because given the circumstance of him hiding disguised as a woman and the media attention in New York, he didn't think the police would believe him. At first, he was going to carry um, Morris Black's body out, but he decided he wasn't strong enough, and that's when he decided to dismember Morris Black. Before and during and by the time he was done, Robert Durst had drank a fifth of Jack Daniels. He put the separated parts of Morris Black into garbage bags and Morris Black's torso into a suitcase and threw them into the bay. See... So, so, but here's here's the thing. In the Law and Order episode, he was like he had a heart attack. That's natural causes. A gunshot yeah. wound is not a natural cause. So, to me, this kind of holds up better in this instance of, you know, given everything from my past, they may be look at me a murder because yeah, it's a gunshot wound. So we're gonna already investigate it to begin with. See, so to me, that holds up more. I don't know how this this uh court case goes off like i don't know the ending of it but look i i'll understand if he gets off of self-defense all right there's not a lot of evidence and all that but he should at least get charged with something for chopping up the body there is a charge for that what's, what's the name of it they say it in law and order svu like but, yeah he can get off his self-defense but also this is more extreme like, mutilation of a corpse yeah, it's like either that or like improper disposal of a body. Of course, it might be yeah, the two of them one. together. Yeah, he it should be, be at least charged with that. It's not on the table. That's not what they tried. They went full straight. I know they they were trying to go big. They were trying to swing big. But yeah, you should at least have that in your back pocket. Yeah, and if SVU is correct, improper disposable body is only a misdemeanor. Yeah, if I, I think so. Um. I don't know, actually. I don't know. But, yeah, I was kind of interested why they... Because you can charge someone with multiple things in one trial, and they can be found guilty for one and not the other. Like, it's not an end-all... Like, if he's found not guilty for murder, he could still be found guilty for the improper disposal of a body Mm -hmm. and... The mutilation of a corpse. Yeah, and... And, like, have them all in the same trial. So I was interested as to why they didn't just tack on. Yeah, because a lot of times they'll tack on as many as they can just to know that they got them for something. Yeah. So I was interested as to, like, why they just didn't do that here. Mm -hmm. But, I mean, they're lawyers. They know more about it than I do. Yeah. When the prosecution cross-examined him, he responded... To every answer saying, I don't remember. Because the prosecution and the defense knew this going into it. This is why they coached him to say you didn't remember. But the prosecution was going to, you know, try to add as much detail in there to, like, dehumanize him again to the jury. Mm-hmm. They, were, they were trying to ask, where did you start on his body? Yeah. Which body part? Well, How many cuts did it take? What did you use? I don't remember yeah. is all he had to say. Well, Durst, yeah, Durst could have said, like, emotions took over him, and people people do black out when emotions do take over. Well, that's what the defense told him. They are like, yeah. hey, like, just say I don't know. Like, this happens all the time. We'll that's get smart. An, we'll get an expert on the stand to explain it. That's smart. And then 
um, saying he eventually said, quote, I didn't kill my best friend. I did dismember him. That's so stupid. You know, I, mm, this case likes to get me heated. The prosecution speculates that Durst went to went back to the dump site before the police and saw the bags were floating when he had intended for them to sink. Their theory is he took the head at this point, evidenced by a bag that was recovered that had been sliced open by a tool and was empty. They think Morris Black's head showed clear evidence that Robert's recounting of the night was a lie. I fullheartedly believe whatever he did with the head showed that it was intentional murder. I don't know if it was a gunshot wound back to the back of the head. Yeah. That would disprove self-defense. There is, I guarantee it. Mm-hmm. Cause yeah, he probably remembered it like the next morning or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then he like went to go see, and then he probably found the head. Well, he saw all of them floating. I mean, they were all yeah. floating. He, he thought they would sink. And in the jinx, because they're interviewing him after the fact, was like, did you, the interviewer was like, did you look up the tides to see when the tides would take him out? He's like, no, I don't know anything about that. I don't even know how I would go about that. It's like, I just thought they would sink. And he's like, I thought the ocean was deep. Now we're to closing arguments. The defense explained to the jury that whatever Robert Durst did to Morris Black's body after death doesn't matter. The only thing the jury has to focus on is how Morris Black died because it's a murder trial. Which they argued was self-defense and an accident. What do you think of those closing arguments? I'm kind of with A-Rod. I won't be too upset if they say it's self-defense. Yeah. But at the same... Because what, what, what do they say? Can you restate... Can you re... Uh... Can you say that again? The defense explained to the jury that whatever Robert Durst did to Morris Black's body after death doesn't matter. There is no charge for dismembering a corpse. The only thing that the jury had to focus on is how Morris Black died, which they argued was self-defense in an accident. So, so yeah. they're basically like the dismembering doesn't matter. The, yeah, they're the, they're trying to throw out the main piece for the. For the other people's like um which we call what's the word i'm looking for argument case. case yeah yeah they're trying to just throw it out like we're not talking about him dismantling we're talking about him being self-defense and all that which yeah is which is smart i mean yeah i mean he he has i hate to say it there's as of right now i think he has a good a good shot well the prosecution thought so too i mean they in no way were like, we have this in the bag. This is a bad. They were like, wow, this is a really good defense. Like, this is yeah, this is hard because admittedly, the prosecution failed to disprove that theory. In fact, when cross examined, Detective Cazales was asked if he had found evidence that disproved self-defense, because I learned that once self-defense is brought up in a trial by a defendant, it is the prosecution's burden of proof. To disprove self-defense. So so if they say it was self-defense, they don't necessarily have to overly prove that it's self-defense. The prosecution has to disprove why it can't be self-defense. So when the 
defense attorney, when Daguerrean asked the detective, did you find any proof or any evidence that disproved self-defense? He answered honestly by saying no. Mm -hmm. And honestly, that might have sealed the deal, you know? Yeah. Robert's a slippery little shit. Yeah. The prosecution stuck with the strategy they had the whole time in their closing arguments by focusing on the dismemberment and arguing that the jury shouldn't look past the dismemberment because it was a part of the whole story that night. Okay, so who do you agree with? The dismemberment be part of the deliberations or not? I think it should because it It goes to the fact of it not being self-defense. It plays into that. Yeah. There was no like self-defense argument. Okay, whatever. You can take it out. But the dismemberment kind of shows or it helps to create the story of not self-defense. Yeah. I don't know how to put my words together for that. I mean, yeah, it I agree. Be, yeah. Go ahead, Aaron. No, I was I was agreeing with y'all. Yeah, I mean, like, they should be able to look at the whole night, like the whole story and not just be like, well, this part technically doesn't matter because it all plays yeah. into one thing. Like, not, yeah, not maybe you shouldn't him. convict him. Like, yes, you're not convicting him. For dismembering, you are looking at ultimately what happened before the, but that does play a role in it. Yeah. In total, the trial lasted six weeks. On November 11th, 2003, after five days of deliberation, the jury of 12 of his peers found Robert Durst. What do y'all think? What's your guesses? Guilty. Mm. Malik says guilty. A part of me wants to say not guilty, but also I feel like they, I don't know. My head says not guilty, but my gut says guilty. So what do you get? I'm torn. I'll go with guilty. He was found not guilty. I knew it. I knew it. I should have stuck with my head. Which, I mean, I can't be upset. Or I understand why that he was not guilty. He had a very strong case. He did have a strong case. I mean, as much as you want, as you want to be like, it's so obvious. Yeah. They I mean, just didn't have enough evidence to support it. Like Law and Order said, you you're entitled to as much justice as you can pay for, and he paid 1.5 mil, and it worked out. What he got? Mm. And so once they announced the not guilty, you can just see in because they they're showing like this whole thing was videoed, so they're showing all the the video of the court. Mm-hmm. And Durst sigh, just let out this huge sigh of release, relief. And he almost he looks like so shocked, like almost he didn't believe he got away with it <laughs> to the point he had to double check with Daguerrean. De- he like looked over. He said they said not. And Daguerrean was like, yes. And he was like, are you sure? And he was like, yes. I'm trying, like, yeah. trying to look so shocked there, buddy. <laughs> yeah. In September 2004, exactly one year from the Morris Black trial, Robert Durst pled guilty to tampering with evidence and jumping bail. 
incidents to five years. So I think the tampering with evidence is kind of what they like ev- the body. They were just trying to get him for something. Yeah. I mean, Annie did jump his bell. So, you, yeah, you, you did do that. Mm-hmm. And sentenced to five years in prison for with credit for time served. In December of 2005, he gets paroled and told to stay near his home. But he returns to the boarding house where he killed Morris Black. And then he was spotted by the judge who oversaw his murder trial. <laughs> at a nearby mall and he went back to jail Dumb. you know i take back what i said earlier he is dumbass it's but it's like also he's not like you can put him up on the stand and he doesn't say anything dumb it's like the very the things where you think the dumb people would get caught doing he did it but it's like the little things that even like a dumb person wouldn't do mm-hmm. you did like in February 2006, the Durst organization settled with Robert for $65 million. So he still got $65 million out of this. But what is he going to do with it in prison? I mean, he's not going to be in prison that long. He gets out yeah. in, like, less than five years. Mm-hmm. That March, Robert was released from prison. So there you go, A-Rod. He no, stayed a total it. of, like, five months. Mm-hmm. Then in 20, his, like, lawyer argued that the, like, restrictions of his parole were too strict, and they agreed. So, he got out of prison. Then in 2010, director, okay, then in 2010, director Andrew Jarecki and writer and producer Mark Smerling put together and released a movie called All Good Things which is a semi-fictional telling of the Robert Durst story starring Ryan, Ryan Gosling and Kirsten Dunst. I'm not going to lie. I first wrote Kirsten Durst, and I was like, oh, she has this last name as them. But I think I've just been writing Durst so much, and I was like, oh, no, it's Dunst. But it was very confusing. <laughs> one letter off. Okay. So let me read you the IMDb caption of this story. And let me tell you, I kind of want to watch it after all of this. David Marks, a real estate scion, is suspected of killing his wife, Katie, who disappeared in 1982. Oh. Pretty much it, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, before its release, Robert Durst got a hold of the script and called up Jarecki and Smirling to ask to see the movie. So they arranged, wouldn't that not, that would scare the shit out of me. Would that not? Oh, hell yeah. He was like, hey, I hear you're doing a movie about me. I want, I've read the script. I want to watch the movie. I would be like, uh. Mm, mm -mm. Can can you imagine, like, what if he hates it? (laughs) Well, no, that wasn't me. Yeah. I don't don't know what you're talking about. I came up with this on my own. (laughs) Okay. Um, so they arranged a private screening for him. Durst then called up Jarecki after saying parts of the movie made him cry. And I'm very curious to see which parts made him cry. Are you not interested? I would be very interested because I feel like it'd be very telling of who he is as a person. Yeah. Um, then he went on to say that he hasn't fairly got to talk about his side in the media because the media has already made up their minds about him 
and he didn't trust they would write it up fairly. Yeah, well, buddy, when he looks like crap, smells like crap, it's crap. It's crap. I mean, he has a point. They probably wouldn't. They have made up their mind. It probably does look like it's un, would be unfairly. Like, yeah, I get why you wouldn't trust them, but also, um, we don't trust you. Nope. To say the right things. I mean, or to say the truth and whatever. But he trusted Drecky and he offered up the idea that Drecky does an interview with him. This became the six part jinx documentary. And Bob's greatest mistake that would eventually lead to his downfall. And that is where we're ending part two, and we'll pick it up with part three, the final part. Boo. Not another right. cliffhanger. Dude, this cliffhanger is wild, too. Mm-hmm. What did y'all think? It's probably the most, like... Spot on. Is for yeah. Me. I thought the same thing. I was like, dang. Like, down to the kid finding it, down to the trash, down... I mean... Mm-hmm. Everything besides, like, him having a relationship with... His neighbor. That's the only Besides thing. Besides the different. sexuality spin. Yeah. Yeah. Dick Wolf just took that and just was like, "Hey, yeah. let's just add a sexual component to it." Let, let, let yeah. me make it juicy for you guys. Mm-hmm. Let me use a little something to spice it up because it's just not t- spicy enough. Another yeah. good one by old Dick. Mm-hmm. But it is the most similar. I mean. Texas and yeah. Galveston's or whatever defense attorney, they let me down, man. Let me down big. Dick Daguerre, he didn't let you, that's his job. It's the prosecution that let you down. Oh, same thing, tomato potato. <laughs> yeah, and it's funny because you have the Janine Pirro in New York who wants a piece of dirt, you know, wants to put him away. Mm-hmm. Spoiler for part three, you have a la, DA. La, 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 don't, don't, don't tell us. We don't want to know. Yeah. Okay, Keep well, okay, then I'll just say, I'll just say, there's another DA that wants a part of him, or wants to try him. Won't say where, won't say what for, but there's there's someone else out there that, you know, wants mm-hmm. wants to put him away. And so they're both going in this documentary. They're both saying like, you know. Really, Texas has the best case, so we were really relying on them, and they were like, and it's a shoo-in. They've got it, like, they got the evidence, they got the body, they have everything we're missing, they're going to get them. And I was like, well, Texas really let down these people. Yeah. That was a good episode. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. So, even though we're doing a part three, we are finishing out the Law & Order trifecta because it was not enough for SVU to do one. It was not enough for Law and Order to do one. But Dick Wolf said, let's roll this into criminal intent. Uh, the last the worst one to finish on. <laughs> so next week, although it's part three, we are watching another Law and Order criminal intent episode. Season one, episode 19, Maledictus. I think that's how you say it. Maledictus. And uh, just as a friendly reminder, if you can, we would really appreciate it if you subscribe, like, 
follow, rate, review, do whatever you can on whatever hearing thing you're listening to us on. And follow our TikTok. But yes, follow us on all the social medias. You can always send in if you want us to answer your questions in the opening. You can always send us in on the D, like DM us on any of the social media platforms. Email us at crimeonprimetimepod at gmail.com. And I think with that, I'm your host, Kenzie Huseman. This is Crime on Primetime, and we are signing off. See ya. Don't want to be ya.